This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. If you live near a bustling downtown or shopping center, you may have noticed an increase in private security guards in the last couple of years. Even places like hospitals, neighborhoods, and the occasional corner gas station have turned to hiring their own security. According to the New York Times, most major cities now have at least three times as many security guards as police officers on the street. In just the past couple of weeks, private security guards began patrolling areas in Austin, Texas, and Raleigh, North Carolina. This uptick comes as police departments across the country struggle with recruitment and as police response times rise in many cities. But as more private security takes the place of police, so do concerns over training, regulation, and accountability. This trend can also lead to inequality, as safety and peace of mind are granted only to those who can afford it. After the break, we dig into private security and what it means for communities that are seeing a rise in those security guards. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot to get into. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill, FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Do you wish stories could unfold over three hours rather than three minutes? You tired of doom scrolling? Trying to find humanity? Or maybe a deeper understanding? of why the world is the way it is? Listen to Embedded, NPR's original documentary series. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Drake and Kendrick Lamar have been lobbing some serious accusations at each other. You've probably heard the diss tracks and wondered, what's just a low blow and what's actually criminal? I'm Brittany Luce, host of It's Been a Minute from NPR, and I'm getting into what's art and what's worthy of criminal investigation. And who those accusations hurt the most. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. Let's welcome our panel. Joining us is Rick McCann. He's the CEO of Private Officer International. That's an association for security and law enforcement professionals. He's also a police officer with 45 years in law enforcement. He's also a security company owner himself. Also with us is Alana Samuels. She's an economic correspondent with Time and wrote a three-part series on the private security industry. Thank you both for joining us. Now, Alana, let's get into the basics. Starting with the number of private security guards we're seeing in the U.S., what does that increase in security actually look like? So there are about twice as many security guards employed in the U.S. as there were 20 years ago, according to the Security Industry Association. Um, And the Population of the U.S. has only grown 16% over the same time period. So that's a pretty big increase compared to how many more people we have. Um, And in 2021, there's some data that suggests there are three security guards for every 1,000 people, but only two police officers. Rick, what are you hearing from people who turn to your company about why they're turning to private security? As you have mentioned uh, right now with the status of law enforcement shortages, uh, there's a rise in violent crime and property crimes. 
many people are having to um, employ their own security and really not depend as much on law enforcement. Alana, what have you found in your reporting? Yeah, same. I think there's both, you know, in some some areas there's increased crime and there's also a perception of there being more crime, you know, whether or not the, the data bear that out. I think especially since 2020 and the pandemic, a lot of people feel like they can't depend on the police to come right when they call them. There might be some time. Um, and so they're taking matters into their own hands. David had also asked whether other countries have a similar increase. And Alana, I don't know that you've reported on what's happening globally, though some of the private security firms do have a global presence. But is this a U.S. specific issue to your knowledge? I don't think it is. I mean, I don't I don't think in places like Europe, for instance, there are as many private security, but in places like Africa, um, some nations where maybe the police forces aren't as developed. I know, you know, writing about one of the world's biggest companies, they certainly have members and employees all over the world. Now, the use of private security is pretty widespread. Alana, what's the range of people and, and places turning to their own guards? Yeah, it was surprising to me to find how many different types of people. You have things like transit agencies and cities like Beverly Hills, California, but then you have just neighborhood groups, um, gas station owners. I talked to a guy who said a man hired private security to take his kids to the movies because he was worried about their safety at the movies. Um, so I think you have a lot of people who maybe wouldn't have thought about this a couple of years ago, um, thinking about this as a, as a real option as they, as they feel less safe. Well, we're hearing from some of you. One text member shares, I'm a private security contractor with the Department of Homeland Security to protect federal buildings. In the case of my job, there are higher standards than your typical retail security guard as we have to qualify for security clearance. Rick, what are some of the more surprising or maybe lesser known uses of private security? Well, first of all, I want to clarify a couple of things. As though, I mean, even though this kind of looks like a sudden trend, private security has been around for more than 125 years. And Pinkerton, a well-known company, was one of the more prevalent ones. But security has been used for everything from guarding the president of the U.S. to securing uh, low-income housing. Security nationwide continues to grow because... As Alana said, there's a perception of more crime, and in some cases, there are more crimes. But the other thing that's not well known by the public is that many law enforcement over the last five years has reduced the type of calls that they respond to. They no longer respond to low-level crimes because they don't have the manpower. So if you were to call about a man loitering, police in your neighborhood may not respond. Uh, I know of several departments who have deleted 42 different types of responses. And, and, so and what, other agencies have done the same. And so what does that mean for places where we may see the use of more private security where that wasn't the case before? So especially in um, residential communities, business communities, um, more companies have band together to hire their own security uh, for trespassing, minor crimes, um, and just to give their customers a, a sense of security. 
Well, Alana, you write about Allied Universal. It's the world's largest security company and also the U.S.'s third largest employer. That was in 2021. And the New York Times writes that this is the fastest growing industry in the country. What can you tell us about the size of these companies in the industry and how fast it's growing? Yeah, it's a very interesting industry because you do have a lot of small players, but they tend to get eaten up by the bigger players. I actually had a friend whose family owned a small security company, and they said that's kind of the dream to get acquired um, because there's there's money in it. Um, so a lot of the really big companies dominate some, some of the big employers, and this is kind of the more service-level jobs that don't take a lot of training, or they, they consider them service-level jobs. There are a lot of smaller security companies you know, that do train their workers and the people are perhaps former law enforcement. But the ones that you're likely to see on the street or, you know, when you're going about your daily life are probably employed by the really big companies like Allied. We got this message from Gwen in San Diego who says, I'm almost 80. When I came out of my credit union with cash, I noticed some people in the parking lot and asked the guard if he would provide protection if anyone approached or threatened me. He said no, and that all he could do was report any incidents. I hope the the policies will change so that we can have armed protection when we need it. Rick, what is the scope of a private security guard's authority? Well, it varies. Um, The word security is generic in nature, just like bread. There's lots of different variances of bread as there is with uh, security. People lump security into everything. What the woman said being a security officer, that was mandated by her employer, not the law. So look at nuclear security. Those are heavily armed and well-trained security officers. Look at your public safety on campuses. They, too, are more trained than the average security officer. So there are different levels of uh, training depending on both regulation and what the client or the employer requires. So there's there's someone who's part of say, a police force, maybe campus police, city police, what have you. And then you have someone who's employed by a private security guard, a security firm that's uh, perhaps an extension of that force, or they're um, overseeing, uh, let's say, a block of retail stores. For the private security that's overseeing those retail stores, so they're not employed by the city, they're not employed by a police force, what is the scope of their authority? In all states, there are both private citizens' arrests as well as uh, the authority to detain someone. And depending, again, on the client's desires, they may want them detained, such as a shoplifter, or they may want the police called. Um, The model is called observe and report, but that's just one model, depending, again, on what the, the duties and what the client wants. The customers in many areas, dictate the level of authority that their employee or contracted person will have, as well as state statutes and regulations. Alana, how much variation is there from state to state? Well, you know, you have what officers are told to do, and then you have what happens. You know, there's an instance of an allied guard shooting and killing someone who was shoplifting in a San Francisco Walgreens, for instance. So I think you also have to remember that while there are laws, guards may not feel safe and may not follow them or may not want to follow them. We're going to head to a quick break. Coming up, we talk to the parent of a former Temple University student about her decision to hire private security around the school. Back with more in a moment. 
With NPR Plus, there's more to hear, like extended interviews with some of the experts we talk to at Planet Money and The Indicator. It's a mistake for economists to only think about economic efficiency when considering policies because you'll actually wind up with a worse outcome. And with NPR Plus, you help keep NPR going. Learn more at plus.npr.org. In any great story, there's a moment that sparks your curiosity tells you there is more to uncover. How how did this happen? How did we get here? That's where Embedded comes in. We are NPR's home for documentary journalism. Immersive and intimate stories. I was stone-cold speechless. Nothing will ever, 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 ever be the same here. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. The Embedded podcast brings you eye-opening reporting. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Immersive journalism. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Personal stories. I was scared. Like, I can't protect you. We are NPR's home for documentary storytelling. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. The news can be disorienting, and it can be really hard to remember how we got here. That's why we started the Throughline Podcast. Every week, we take you on a cinematic trip into the past to better understand the present. Listen now to the Throughline Podcast from NPR. Let's get back to the discussion by adding another voice. Jennifer Hedberg is the mother of a former Temple University student. She hired private security to patrol about a 10-block radius of a neighborhood near the college campus. Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Oh, hi. It's my pleasure. So in 2021, you hired JNS Protection Services to patrol near the Temple University campus in Philadelphia. What led you to that decision? Well, um, it was getting pretty dicey around the campus, and there was actually um, a murder of one of the students during a carjacking. And I really expected the Temple campus to really beef up security at that time, and they didn't. And I was talking with my son one night on the phone, and he said, Mom, there's an actual armed robbery happening right outside my window right now. And it kind of really freaked me out. And I really didn't know what to do. So I thought, let me see if I could hire private security. And that's what I did. What, so, yeah, yeah. What, what conversations did you have with Temple or its campus police force about this decision to hire private security? Well, they weren't happy. So once they found out I did it, that's when they reached out to me and really wanted to have conversations with me. Um, But there really wasn't much they could say because they couldn't provide any more security. So they they mostly wanted to talk to me about, you know, why are you doing this? And to let me know they weren't happy about it. And what did they tell you about why they weren't able to provide additional security? Well, it came down to the fact that they couldn't retain people. They said, you know, we're doing our best to get new people, but we train them and then they don't stay. That was kind of the gist of it, that they couldn't retain. When you looked for a private security company, what specific role were you hoping they would play? Well, I guess for me, I was looking for marked cars to patrol the area to provide a deterrent. So in my mind, that's what I was looking for. So just to help me as a mom who was far away 
feel like I, that was something that I could do to help me feel better. Did, did you have any expectation that this security firm would actually intervene if something happened? Or was it just having a visual of security being in the area? I think it was more just a visual in the area. And I don't think that they would have intervened. I think they would have to have called the police, either the Philly police or or the Temple Campus police. Hmm. So, so this firm patrolled about a 10-block radius of the neighborhood where your son lived. Did you have conversations with the parents of other students in the area? Because there's a cost associated with this. That's right. But, you know, I want to say hundreds of parents started to donate. And then it broke off. And now there's another whole perimeter of 10 or so blocks that runs as well. And now my son has graduated and there's parents who have taken it over and it's still running. And I'm not, you know, my son's not even there anymore. And it, it runs through Facebook and um, parents are donating and it's still going. What, what, what kind of issues did you run into, though? I, w- I would assume that even if there were parents willing to contribute, somebody has to manage this process and manage the relationship with the security firms. What, what hurdles did you run into? Really, it ran really smoothly. Mm. You know, people donated through um, Venmo. So they just Venmo to a certain Venmo address. And then you just want some, you know, whenever the uh, invoice came in, you just pay it. And then once a month, uh, JNS would send us a report about where they had been with photos and everything that had happened during the shifts. It really ran very smoothly. And who had access to that information, to those reports? Well, it would be, you know, if I, I was running it at the time, so it was me, and then I would post it to everybody. We had a private Facebook group. So anyone who was donating money, they would get access to that report. So, it was so, very transparent. So if you had a child who lived in that 10-block radius, but perhaps you couldn't afford to contribute to the security services, would you also have access to that information? Um, no, we did keep it just to the people who donated. Because people who... Um, had kids within that 10 radius block and didn't donate, they didn't really join the group. Now, your son doesn't go to Temple any longer. What's happened with the neighborhood security since? You said it's still running. Yep. We just hand it off to a parent who's interested and train them how to do it. And it keeps going. It keeps going, keeps growing. So I think that's fantastic. That's Jennifer Hedberg. She's the mother of a former Temple University student. Jennifer, thanks for speaking with us. You know, Rick, we heard from Jennifer that her expectation was just having the presence of the guards there as a possible deterrent. But do you think there's clarity around what a guard may be trained to do, what they're allowed to do within the law? Um, what they're being instructed to do by their employer, which may be just call the police, don't intervene. Do you think the public is really clear on that, on those boundaries? You know, it varies, again, from state to state, the regulations as well as the client. Now, in the situation, I'm very familiar with the Temple area. There are actually three campus police departments in that area. UPenn, uh, Drexel as well are there. So... 
the police officers uh, at those universities also have contract security that provide physical security, and they're limited as to what they can do and what they can get involved in. The company that was hired uh, by that lady, um, they had no authority on the public street whatsoever, none. It's much different than if they were on a piece of private property. So while they're patrolling public property, if they were to get involved, and there's a situation that just happened in Denver where a security officer on the way to his job intervened in what he thought was an accident and wound up getting shot, he was critical for several weeks, and now the insurance company won't pay his medical bills because he wasn't on the company property. Hmm. So I- it's a lot different than people you know, can believe. The other thing that is really not recognized very well is that it's a very dangerous job. We have a full-time news department in our organization. This year so far, 71 security officers have been murdered on duty. Last year, 89 were murdered, and there are thousands that are assaulted every year. So they do intervene when they legally can, but they're, you know, it, it just is very different. Each, each incident is going to be different. In April, Alana, a security guard at a Walgreens in San Francisco, fatally shot a man for suspected shoplifting. The San Francisco DA chose not to file charges against the security guard. The family of the man is now suing the security company, the guard, and Walgreens. What do you think this case will teach us in terms of liability in the private security space? Yeah, it's really hard because you do have, as Rick said, um, these guards are just out there and it's not very safe for them, especially if they don't have a lot of training. Um, and so you have these situations. Uh, this this isn't the only instance of a situation where a security guard shot someone and you know claims self defense. And your heart goes out to both sides because you think you know that guard didn't feel safe, and obviously that person did not deserve to die for for shoplifting. Um, and and so I think we're really gonna see who's gonna be held responsible. I think one of the things that's really hard is that it's often not the company that employs the security guard that's held responsible. And it's often not the secur- the company that even employs the person that's held responsible. It's the individual themselves. So just think you're someone, you get a job as a security guard and something happens when you're on duty, your company is maybe not going to really back you up. And, you know, that's something that I think we really need to be thinking about and looking looking at as as the industry grows. So the the guard themselves may not have any protections if something happens on the job, they'll be heard, held personally liable or responsible. Rick, what kinds of protections do these security guards have if they are injured uh, while they're on the while they're patrolling or or they're working to protect a business? What kinds of protections are extended to them? All fifty states require that employers with at least five employees. Um, carry workers' compensation, which covers their medical bills 100%, as well as a percentage of their salary. Unfortunately, small security companies and even some mid-sized companies don't always carry that insurance, and it has left a number of security officers just in recent years um, fending for themselves. As far as the liability issue, again, the security company is required to carry liability insurance but don't always do that. So the security officer themselves are pretty much uh, left, you know, holding the back, and they're responsible and, and oftentimes named in those lawsuits. Alana, what have you learned about the way cities approach contracting 
these services and and how they're looking at the accountability piece of this puzzle? Yeah, I'm not sure how closely they are looking uh, at the accountability piece. I think you have a lot of cities like Charlotte, for instance, Santa Monica, California, where you have citizens who are very upset about the use of private security guards who will maybe go to a city council hearing and, and say something. But, um, for instance, in Charlotte, um, you had some people come to the hearing where they had allied security. Uh, they were renewing the contract. And, you know, not a whole lot of people go to or follow city council meetings. And they renewed the contract even though um, – one, the mayor pro tem was was really against it and was advocating for more money for the for the for, for the police department. So a lot of time this just comes down to how much money these cities have and what they're willing to spend it on, and you know not so much about whether the security is effective or not. We're hearing from many of you who work in private security. A member of the 1A Text Club shares, I am a private security officer. I'm a middle-aged lady who has always had service jobs. It's caretaking a property. You do for the client what you want done for your own house. We watch for water leaks and deal with people. There are problems with the industry. It attracts a lot of macho poop heads, and it doesn't pay a living wage. And another member of the Text Club writes, I was an account manager for a private security firm. I've seen the best, most conscientious officers, and I've seen some that lived up to every stereotype ever about security guards. A lot depends on the company themselves, how well they train new officers, weeding out the worst, and how good they are about retaining the best. Alana, when we look at the regulatory environment for private security, what's the state of the regulatory environment, I guess, is the question. (laughs) Well, it really varies by states and even by cities in some cases. Um, You know, you have places where there have been incidents in recent years starting to crack down and require that there's, you know, some de-escalation training or certain types of training. But again, even the places that require training, uh, like California, for instance, it's very hard to enforce um, because it's not like all the private security guards report to one place where they can check licenses. They're really spread out all across the state. Um, And so you don't have a lot of requirement for training in in many states and even the states where you do have requirements it's hard to make sure that everyone's following those rules we're going to take a quick pause here still ahead the city of raleigh north carolina is hiring armed security guards but some are pushing back we hear from a concerned city advocate stay with us From the campaigns to the conventions, from now through Election Day and beyond, the NPR Politics Podcast has you covered. As Joe Biden and Donald Trump square off again, we bring you the latest news from the trail and dive deep into each candidate's goals for a second term. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast every weekday. Here at Planet Money, we bring complex economic ideas down to earth. We find weird, fun, interesting stories that explain the way money shapes our lives. Inflation, recessions, the price of gas, we've got you. Listen now to the Planet Money podcast from NPR. Let's get back to the conversation with this message we got from one of you. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, but I see increasingly with the security forces and the police that they're trying to become like a military operation. And our job was to train to fight enemy combatants. And the local people and the citizens are not enemy combatants. You know, their job should just be there for security and to help law-abiding citizens. 
And now let's bring in one more voice. Joining us from Raleigh, North Carolina, is Kerwin Pittman. He's a social justice activist and the director of policy and programs at Emancipate NC. He's also the founder and executive director at Recidivism Reduction Educational Program Services. Kerwin, welcome to 1A. Thank you for having me. So last week, private security guards began patrolling parts of downtown Raleigh. Downtown Raleigh Alliance is a nonprofit organization working to revitalize the area, and they hired unarmed security guards with body cams. First, Kerwin, just describe this area for us. Yes, this area is an area where a lot of unhoused people um, congregate, as well as individuals who suffer from mental health illness, as well as a high population of substance abuse um, issues within individuals. And so um, it it is extremely problematic, in my view, to, you know, hire security, especially uh, armed security, as the city is, is planning to do without uh, the scope of their work and job being put out to the public. Like, what is the extent of their enforcement? Um, what is the extent of their authority that they will have over the, the people? It, it just seems like a, a, a recipe for disaster waiting to happen. Now, the the decision to have private security came after a week after a 15-year-old was shot downtown. Local station WRAL writes that Raleigh Police Department still have about 80 vacant positions. What are you hearing from community members in terms of their concerns around safety? So what we're hearing from community members is uh, we should be investing more in crime reduction strategies external of law enforcement and those acting in the semblance of law enforcement. And so what that actually means is if someone has uh, the flu, right, uh, we're not going to treat the symptoms of the flu. We're going to actually treat the flu itself to get rid of the issue. And so what that means is actually investing in the people in those areas to try to revitalize those areas and help those citizens who are suffering in those areas so crime can be reduced. Clearly, uh, it, is a, it is a problem nationally with uh, recruiting law enforcement. And so we have to think of other strategies external of hiring more police, um, giving the police more money, and now hiring private security that, security that acts in the semblance of police but really has no authority. And I just want to be clear here, the decision to hire security by a local nonprofit group happened as the city of Raleigh is moving forward on plans to hire armed private security to patrol the transit center. Carmen, what are your biggest concerns with that plan? So my biggest concerns uh, with those plans is when you equip individuals with the tools like a gun, um, they're going to have the high potential to use that tool, right? And so one of my main concerns is private citizens um, trying to attempt private citizens arrest or attain other private citizens. Um, and this gives me heavy reservation and has the strong potentials of, of companies deputizing individuals uh, with the mentality of the likes of George Zimmerman. Um, and so it, it kind of, it, it gives me great pause and great reservation um, to think that individuals who may couldn't cut it as law enforcement join uh, these security firms um, that may not be vetting and training these individuals correctly um, and just targeted um, black and brown people in these areas uh, with, 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 with a weapon. And I'll be completely honest with you. We did contact the city of Raleigh about this decision. They sent an email saying, quote, the city is currently in the process of hiring private security, but we have not done so at this point. This effort will be used to supplement our Raleigh police department, not in place of them, end quote. Alana, as you were reporting this story, what did you hear around the biggest concerns, especially if we're talking about armed security? Yeah, I think what Kerwin said is is um, a lot of what I heard is that there are problems that are not going to be solved with a gun, you know, especially mental health issues. And you have people who maybe don't have a whole lot of training who are armed, um, who 
are going to be having to deal with these problems and, and this isn't kind of in their bailiwick. Um, so I think a lot of a lot of cities are saying, you know, maybe we actually need to spend more money to address the root of the problem, not just kind of put a Band-Aid and put private security. But they're also facing a lot of resistance to spending more money. You know, we're in a time when there's really high inflation and people don't want to spend more money on anything, much less, you know, on something like mental health services for homeless people. And so I think, you know, until we decide to address the root of the problem, we could have more of these issues um, with private security having to deal with problems that that really aren't aren't theirs to deal with. Kerwin, in your conversations with the city or city officials, what are they saying about the need for this armed private security in Raleigh? Um, at this moment, they haven't actually said um, why. And from my understanding, some of the counselors are not in favor of hiring um, on private security. And so that is a conversation that we would definitely have to uh, get into sooner rather than later. Um, the, the act to hire this private security was not addressed or discussed openly in the public. Uh, it was done kind of behind closed doors, which is another issue. Um, but I think most importantly, we fund um, law enforcement even more every year. Um, and clearly, we cannot arrest our way out of the issues that are going on across the country. And so we have to think about external strategies outside of law enforcement to reduce this types of crimes and crimes across the country. Um, but most importantly, we have to invest in the people in order to make that happen. And so that is the mind shift and the mindset that I would like to see the municipality of Raleigh take on. And it seems like they may be turning in that direction with other programs they're trying to implement. Now, Rick, you've said that the big security companies sell quantity, not quality. What do you think needs to change in order to improve the quality of the private security industry? Currently, only 38 states have some type of mandate for training requirements. Um, And those are minimal at best. Some states in the last few years have increased training requirements. North Carolina, armed security, many of them are police officers. And they're not public police officers, but they're private police officers under a statute called Company Police 74E. They go through the same basic law enforcement training as any municipal police officer. And they're fully accredited and they have full arrest authority. And that's where many states have begun going to for armed security. They're so so I, I just want to be clear really quickly, accreditation and arrest authority, but what about the accountability piece of it? Who are they accountable to? Their employer and their client. But because they are law enforcement, should they do something out of line, they'd be responsible to that state um, oversight that oversees all municipal law enforcement. How helpful do you think it would be to see regulation happen either federally or have a more consistent regulatory environment from state to state? So there is no federal oversight for security and there is no federal requirement for specific law enforcement training. It's on a state-by-state basis, although many states train on certain topics Um, The hours are different. One state may require 900 hours for a basic law enforcement academy, and the other may require 400. And so even with law enforcement, it's different from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Alana, ultimately, what do we know about whether or not private security is making any of us safer? 
Yeah, I think it's a double-edged sword. I mean, if you talk to a gas station owner who hired a private security guard after, you know, getting robbed once a week, he's going to say he's a lot safer. But I think it also becomes this vicious cycle where people see guns or armed guards and they feel unsafe. And so they feel like they need to hire their own private security and we're just kind of arming up um, as a nation. And I don't know if that's necessarily going to solve our problems. Well, we'll leave the conversation there for now. That's Alana Samuels, an economic correspondent with Time. Also with us, Rick McCann, the CEO of Private Officer International. He's also a law enforcement officer and a security company owner. And Kerwin Pittman. He's a social justice activist and the director of policy and programs at Emancipate NC. He's also the founder and executive director at Recidivism Reduction Educational Program Services. Alana, Rick, Kerwin, thanks for joining us today. Today's producer was Michelle Harvin. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. care about what's happening in the world. Let State of the World from NPR keep you informed. Each day we transport you to a different point on the globe and introduce you to the people living world events. We don't just tell you world news, we take you there. And you can make this journey while you're doing the dishes or driving your car. State of the World podcast from NPR. Vital international stories every day. The Bullseye podcast is, according to one journalist, the quote, kind of show people listen to in a more perfect world. So make your world more perfect. Every week, Bullseye puts the pop in culture, interviewing brilliant authors, musicians, actors, and novelists to keep you on your pop culture target. Listen to the Bullseye podcast, only from NPR and Maximum Fun. For the seventh year on the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race and identity go way beyond the day's headlines. Because we know what's part of every person is part of every story. We're bringing that perspective with new episodes every week. Listen on the Code Switch podcast from NPR.